Welcome to Conservation Today. We interview people about our environment in Douglas County. I am your host, Francis Etherington. Today, I'm speaking with Stuart Lebowitz from the Douglas County Global Warming Coalition. Hello, Stuart. Hi, Francis. So uh, you have some interesting upcoming events that our listeners want to know about. What's going on? Yes, we do, and we are very excited about them. Uh, the first event is uh, coming up on Wednesday, October 30th. It'll uh, start at 6.30 p.m. in the Ford Room at the Roseburg Public Library. And it's a forum uh, that's titled Moving Toward a Fossil Fuel-Free Future, the, the, uh, benef- the Economic Benefits for Rural Communities. And uh, the reason we're having that, you know, oftentimes uh, we uh, talk about the dangers and the long-term effects of global warming, which is very important to communicate. But the flip side of that is the economic opportunities that present itself when we finally move away from fossil fuels, particularly in rural communities. There's a a mythology that uh, circulates sometimes that rural communities will be at a disadvantage uh, if we move away from fossil fuels when actually the reverse is true. And so we have invited two experts in the field that uh, will talk at great length uh, in regards to the economic benefits for rural communities in general, as well as our local rural community. And uh, the, the first speaker uh, is Dr. Randall Bluffstone. He is a professor of environment and economics from Portland State University. And the reason we're excited about uh, Dr. Bluffstone is that he brings uh, two perspectives uh, uh, to uh, Roseburg. The first one is an international perspective where you can step back and we can look at uh, rural communities around the world and how uh, how uh, developing non-fossil fuel-related uh, uh, economics uh, is a benefit to these uh, rural areas. And then he's going to hone in on uh, the, uh, the local rural uh, communities in Oregon. And just to get an idea of just the type of expertise that he brings, uh, his concentration will be uh, in forestry, and that should be of particular interest to uh, watershed listeners. Uh, His background, for example, on the international level is deforestation in low-income countries uh, and the economics of suburban sprawl. He's the author of several papers and books. Uh, including forest management and carbon sequestration. Uh, He lived in Ethiopia and conducted research related to land use and forestry policies. Uh, He was uh, the deputy director of the International Environment Program at the Harvard Institute for International Development at Harvard University. And when he was there, he directed uh, their environmental policy program in Central Asia. And from 1994 to 1997, served as Senior Environmental Policy Advisor to the Government of Lithuania. So, uh, plus he has a Ph.D. in economics from Boston University. Well, he sounds very well qualified to talk uh, to us about how um, reducing climate impacts will benefit rural Oregonians. Did I get that right. right? That, that is correct. And it'll start out from a macro perspective, the international perspective, and then hone in 
on uh, the Oregon uh, uh, perspective as well, and specifically, of course, Douglas County. And the nice thing about our communication with Dr. Bluffstone is when we uh, communicated to him that this is what we were looking for, his response was very simple, this is in my wheelhouse. So <laughs> we are excited to have him. Yes, from he's going to come down from Oregon State University in Corvallis. Portland State University. Oh, Portland State University. And what will be really interesting is his information on forestry. We all know how trees sequester carbon and how important that is to mitigate our fossil fuel use is to grow more trees. Uh, It'll be interesting to hear his take on cutting trees. Yes, we are very much... uh, 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 excited to learn his perspective. And as I mentioned, uh, uh, one of the uh, uh, books that he wrote uh, was uh, entitled Local Control for Improved Livelihoods, Forest Management, and Carbon Sequestration. So that really ties in with uh, uh, understanding the role of forests in uh, controlling climate. So, uh, Unfortunately, we don't have much local control over that, that's controlled by the state of Oregon's forest uh, laws for private land logging. So it'll it'll be very interesting to hear his take on how we can have more control over that. Yes, I think that's a very important perspective that uh, hopefully he can bring as well. But it could also set the tone for the types of policies that we can advocate, and and that is also essential uh, to the way we. Uh, uh, organize here locally and statewide. So um, we're we're very uh, much uh, looking forward to uh, what he has to uh, bring to the table in this regard. So, Excellent. And then yeah. there's another speaker that night, right? Yes. Uh, and the second speaker is uh, uh, Dylan Cruz. Uh, he's from Sustainable Northwest, a nonprofit, and he's the director of government affairs and program strategy. And he has got a very impressive resume. Uh, Dylan uh, coordinates the Western Juniper Alliance, uh, a 50-member organization working to restore the health of Western uh, rangelands uh, and support rural economic vitality and wildlife habitat. Um, And um, he recently uh, played a key role in the passage and funding of the Oregon Federal Forest Health Program. Uh, he uh, is co-chair of the Oregon Forest Biomass Working Group, a board member of the Biomass Thermal Energy Council, and holds a seat on the steering committee of the National Rural Assembly. He also represents Sustainable Northwest on the leadership team of the Rural Voices for Conservation Coalition. And so he has that perspective, and part of his expertise that he will uh, talk about is in the areas of agriculture, sustainability, and renewable energy. So both uh, Dylan Cruz and Dr. Bluffstone uh, represent bookends to uh, the way we can approach uh, enhancing the economic vitality of uh, rural Oregon in general, and specifically Douglas County. So we're excited about both of these individuals uh, coming to uh, Roseburg and sharing their expertise. Stuart, let me let me ask you: If there's economic 
benefits for rural communities in sequestering carbon and forestry and agricultural use. We will go and find out what that is, but can you give us a hint? Do you know what economic benefits there is for rural communities? Well, you know, that's an interesting question. And uh, when I uh, spoke with Dylan actually yesterday, he said, I'm preparing my uh, uh, my presentation now. So he's been playing it close to the vest. But here's what I will tell you, that uh, when we worked on the uh, legislation that uh, we were unsuccessful in passing uh, during the last session to uh, significantly reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions, there were a whole host of uh, potential investments that uh, we were going to make available to rural communities, both in terms of uh, energy efficiency items and and the like, that were specifically targeted to rural communities. In fact, part of that legislation was uh, uh, had set-asides for rural communities uh, to utilize to enhance uh, conservation energy efficiency both on farmland as well as in homes and so forth. And so that you know presents itself as a model for the way we can approach uh, the economic restoration of this community. You know, for, for too long, uh, our uh, community has always lagged behind in, in employment, always lagged behind in income, and unfortunately, we have always turned to the timber industry and, and short-sighted policies as a solution. So here we have now an opportunity to really broaden the uh, the effort and uh, and take a more comprehensive approach and and tie that in with a hopeful future to address climate change. It really can be a win-win situation and knock down the mythology that, uh, that often circulates that by doing so, this will harm rural communities when the reality is it can actually enhance rural communities. And uh, this is the purpose of uh, our presentation to show that this is not uh, the, um, the devil in disguise, but rather uh, uh, appealing to our better angels and uh, and making sure that we have a, a viable and vital economy. Well, it'll be interesting to hear what they say about agriculture and forestry, and I wonder how it's going to relate to our relatively newest big industry in Douglas County, and that's um, uh, the wineries and the great vineyards that have sprung up everywhere around us and how that is contributing or not contributing to our our climate stability here in Douglas County. Yeah, that's an interesting point. And you know, I'll I'll introduce something sort of a set aside, a sort of an aside which is not directly tied to this forum, but I'll I'll introduce this anyway. Um we have uh an aquatics group in our global warming coalition. And we met with a representative from the Energy Trust of Oregon, which uh, basically serves uh, uh, customers from Pacific Power, Vista Utilities, and PG&E. And part of the money is dedicated to offering energy efficiency uh, uh, incentives uh, through their programs. And 
and one of them, one of the uh, programs is specifically targeted to agricultural uh, entities, and uh, we are reaching out to the wine growers and trying to bring the wine growers together with Energy Trust to uh, have them avail themselves of these incentives to really reduce their energy usage and, as a corollary, of course, reduce their impact on, on climate change. So that's one avenue that we're pursuing. It is not necessarily tied in with uh, our forum, but since you brought up the wine industry, uh, <laughs> it's coincidentally working on as well. So, but the, but the, the, the overarching uh, uh, point is that we are here to not only stimulate the economy, but also to save energy and reduce uh, our uh, global warming impact. And it's a win-win situation, and these two speakers will address uh, the possibilities that uh, will present themselves over the years. And, and one other thing I want to add, um, the world has already recognized uh, and embraced the idea that we will be moving away from fossil fuels. So we really need to get on that train and be part of it, because if we aren't, we'll be left behind economically even more so. And so we we need to understand and look at uh, the possibilities now while, uh, while the uh, opportunities are there. Could you remind us of the time and place for this uh, presentation by these two gentlemen? Yes, uh, it is uh, Wednesday, October 30th at 6.30 p.m. in the Ford Room at the Roseburg Public Library. Now, you brought up our failed uh, cap and invest bill from last year. Yes. Could you remind us what that bill did, why it failed, and our projection for the future of a new bill or not? Yes, I would be glad to. Um, this was uh, a bill that had been in the works for several years, and uh, and the purpose of the bill was twofold: one, to reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions eighty uh, percent by the year twenty fifty. And what was important about that particular target is that we also set interim targets. Uh, to, uh, I think in 2035, we had to meet a certain percentage, and then uh, by 2050, the, the full percentage. So it was a transitional bill that would have uh, successfully uh, brought us in line with the uh, scientifically recognized goals of uh, reducing uh, uh, climate pollution. The way, in part, that it was going to be done was, in essence, to put a, a price on pollution. And we identified uh, those uh, climate polluters uh, here in Oregon that produced 25,000 metric tons per year or more, and they needed to pay uh, a cost of carbon uh, for all their pollution above that. And the money that was uh, generated by that uh, would be used to invest in a variety of ways. One way uh, was to invest in, in clean, renewable energy and uh, and uh, particularly targeting low-income communities and rural communities. As I referenced before, 
that was the beauty of the bill, that rural communities had a set aside as well as uh, low-income communities and communities of color. So that was part of that. There was also a transition fund that uh, would help workers who were impacted by this transition. So uh, it would ameliorate any uh, economic impact that uh, uh, workers might uh, have in this regard. Um, Unfortunately, uh, what happened with the bill, there was uh, a lot of misinformation that uh, was uh, circulated uh, primarily in the media and the climate deniers, and people just you know, were, um, uh, were completely misinformed about exactly what it would and wouldn't do. But more to the point, uh, the, the bill passed the House, and it was ready to uh, pass the Senate as well. Now, the Republican senators had walked out of the session earlier uh, in the session, uh, protesting uh, several bills, uh, including uh, gun legislation, as I recall. And so as part of the agreement uh, uh, with Kate Brown, they came back if uh, that legislation was dropped, and they promised not to walk again. Now, we had the votes in the Senate, and we're ready to vote on it, and the Republicans really didn't care about their promises in the past, they walked out again, and when they did so, they denied a quorum. And by denying a quorum, we couldn't hold the vote. And that's what killed the bill. And so it was uh, their, the Republicans, uh, senators' anti-democratic uh, actions in violation of their own uh, agreement that prevented us from passing what would have been probably the best uh, climate bill in the United States. So that's where uh, what brought us here today. So now we have several options, and uh, I can talk. Well, about let me that. let me just yes. say before you go to those options, let me just say, you know, I'm so disappointed in the Senate Republicans. I know a lot of Republicans in my life, and most of them are not climate deniers. I mean, you know, most most Republicans are are with us on on wanting to have a stable future climate for their children. So I don't understand how all those politicians could just be so different than than the people who voted them in there. Yeah, it it is uh, partly due to a misinformation that <clears throat> they were happy to uh uh promote uh very um uh, exaggerated uh, estimates regarding the uh, impact on on your utility bills and gas prices and and job losses, all of which were, were wrong. And one claim I heard was that our price of gasoline for rural people is going to go so high, we really can't afford to drive to town and back much anymore. Well, I personally would pay more for my gas if I knew that in the future the climate would stabilize and, you know, the next time I buy, we can all buy a car that you know, runs on electricity and we can all have free transportation and pay nothing for gas in the future. Absolutely. And here's the irony of all this. I'll make two points in this regard. First of all, when you look at the economic equation, what is not 
put as part of the equation is the economic loss in our area from wildfires and other climate-related disasters. And so when you, when you put that in the mix, all of a sudden, uh, that is quite an economic offset to whatever uh, perceived uh, uh, cost that accrued for the bill. But, yes. but here's the other irony, that uh, the projections were that there would be a 19-cent-a-gallon increase over something like five years. And that was from a, a study that that, that uh, came, I think, from Berkeley, and and so the uh, prices were exaggerated. But just to compromise, and just to make sure that uh, fears were eased, uh, the bill set aside 100 million dollars uh, per biennium that would go to middle income and low income. Uh, people primarily in rural communities to offset any uh, gas price increases. That was part of the bill. Wow. So the idea that somehow we did not recognize their concerns was was a lie. And you know, I pick uh, I picked up the News Review and the Register Guard and all the other papers, and they would fail to mention that. And not only that. Uh, the uh, our local Republican uh, representatives would say things like, "They, uh, our side, never compromised, never gave a, gave them anything," and of course that was not true, and that 100 million dollars was just one of the many compromises we made in in order to alleviate their perceived concerns. So it was really unfortunate that uh, that a combination of misinformation and climate denial uh, generated all this opposition and ultimately an anti-democratic walkout, which shelved the bill. And so our own representatives from Douglas County, Leaf and Heard, they actually walked out? Well, it was the senators who walked out. Leaf oh, was I on see. the House okay. side. So it yeah. was Heard that, that walked out. Heard that walked out, right? Yes. Yeah. So it was, uh, you know, and it was particularly uh, upsetting about the whole scenario, of course. Uh, it was, I think it was Boquist who uh, who issued uh, violent threats against anyone who would bring him back and all that. It got very distasteful and very unbecoming of, uh, of the way uh, a representative should act. And that was just unfortunate all the way around. So, so what's in the future now? What are we looking at? Okay, we have, we have we have uh, two options right now. One option is to uh, go to the special session, which is going to start, I think, uh, in late January, early February, and try uh, to bring the bill forth again. The problem with that is that, you know, we don't know whether Republicans would walk out again. So that is, uh, nothing has changed in that regard, so it feels um, uh, difficult to um, believe that that scenario would necessarily uh, play out in our favor. But we're going to try anyway. We're going to try and reintroduce the bill anyway? Well, we're we're talking to legislators about that. Uh, There's nothing certain. It's a very short session, and of course, uh, the primary thrust of a short session is is the budget. So whether there is time and 
and commitment to introduce this bill in a short session. This is what we're looking at, but uh, it is unclear whether uh, that can happen. So that is one option that we are uh, exploring. I think Mm -hmm. that's the best way of putting that. Stuart, we're going to take a quick break. This is Conservation Today. I'm your host, Francis Etherington, and we are talking with Stuart Lieberwitz from the Douglas County Global Warming Coalition. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back with Stuart Lieberwitz from the Douglas County Global Warming Coalition. Uh, Stuart was just explaining our options for petitions in the future. Now, the second option is something that we are also very seriously looking at, and we've, we've started the ball rolling on this. And that means that entails three initiative petitions that we are uh, looking at putting on the ballot. And I'll get into the uh, uh, substance of these initiatives uh, in short order. But the, uh, the initiative process is a two-step process. The first step is to gather uh, 1,000 signatures uh, to present to the Secretary of State. <clears throat> and that shows that there is a commitment to uh, these initiatives. <clears throat> Excuse me. And once that happens, then uh, the uh, Secretary of State, if, they, if uh, she approves the initiatives, then we'll go ahead and give it a title. The title will probably be challenged by the opposition. And after, it was all, after it's all settled, uh, usually around March, uh, we can anticipate getting the okay to circulate uh, these three initiative petitions. And I can talk about exactly what they entail. So, first of all, you have to get a 1,000 signatures, and then you have to get more signatures after it's been approved. That's right. We have to get probably about 140,000. 140,000. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, but that that can only happen after all the um, uh, uh, rank, uh, all the arguments uh, are adjudicated and we finally have a, a title and a description that uh, is uh, approved uh, by the Secretary of State. And, and hopefully there won't be a problem because she just denied approving progressive initiatives on the forestry That's issue. right. That, that is absolutely right. And uh, I think that is also on appeal, if I recall. Yes. And and so we are also very guarded in terms of the way we structure these initiatives uh, to maximize the possibility that uh, all three would be approved. Now, uh, once they are uh, approved, assuming they are all approved, we will probably, but not necessarily, uh, go with two of the three. We'll just see exactly how all this plays out in terms of uh, uh, the best-case scenario for getting these passed. But uh, the three initiatives are designed to substitute for what the bill uh, was ultimately trying to do. And if these initiatives are, are, are passed, uh, we will accomplish, in essence, uh, the goals that were initially established by our legislation. So the first initiative is, uh, is uh, directed at the utilities. And the utilities uh, are required by the year 2045 <coughs> to uh, develop only clean energy mm. uh, from their electricity. 
And that, that includes means, hydro, right? That includes yeah, hydro. That includes um, uh, well, it, in, well, what it does mean that you can't use fossil fuels. I mean, you just can't do that. Right. It um, means uh, we develop wind energy off the Oregon coast. Wave right. energy is talked about. Solar energy and hydro. We can do and, that. And geothermal. Yes. Yeah. So, so that would be uh, the mix that they would be required to do. And, uh, of course, that would also give them incentive to uh, 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 promote energy efficiency because uh, they would be uh, in a position of not having to develop as many uh, uh, electricity-producing uh, uh, avenues uh, than, than normal because the more energy efficiency is probably the lowest hanging fruit, so that would just give them an incentive to do that. Mm-hmm. But either way, by 2045, uh, we would uh, no longer be uh, dependent on uh, on fossil fuels. And one thing to uh, uh, keep in mind, uh, roughly half of our electricity in Oregon right now is generated by some form of fossil fuels, whether it's natural gas or coal and things of that nature. And so by 2045, all that goes away. Mm-hmm. And so so that, would, that would be a real plus to do. So we're halfway there. Great. Yeah, we're halfway there. Now we've got to take care of the other half. Yeah. So. But th- that's the first initiative. The second one is an expansion of the first one. Not only would they be required, the utilities, to um, reduce their uh, or eliminate their uh, uh, dependency on fossil fuels, they would also be required to uh, electrify Oregon. Now, what does that mean? What that means is to uh, introduce uh, uh, incentives to and investments to uh, have individuals uh, be part of the clean energy mix. So that would mean subsidies for electric cars, subsidies for people to not uh, use uh, natural gas and, and eliminate that and get on the uh, electric grid, which by 2045 would be required to be all clean. So that would be some of the examples of the types of subsidies or perhaps, uh, again, energy efficiency. So that would be built into this particular second initiative. And so both those initiatives are, are targeted to the utilities and, and develop um, uh, the uh, clean energy perspective in that uh, sector. The third one is more broad and is uh, designed to uh, address the entire economic sector of Oregon. And that's very much similar to what uh, the legislation that we uh, had introduced and what it would do is uh, get us down to uh, uh, greenhouse gas emissions below 1990 levels by 2050 with an interim target date of 2035. And so that would really uh, put us in the same range that science requires. And as you know, uh, the, um, uh, the science is really picking up in terms of the shorter time frame that we have in order to uh, prevent the the most catastrophic elements of of climate change. So those are the three initiatives that uh, we have already submitted. Actually, a thousand signatures that we had to gather, uh, I and everybody else throughout the state, 
we're busy uh, getting signatures uh, to reach that thousand mark. Um, we had 60 signatures out of uh, out of uh, Douglas County, and I submitted them Friday. And uh, the rest of the state has also been very uh, active. They, the Secretary of State gave us about five days to do this. Wow. And, uh, we hustled, and uh, and uh, my assumption is we will uh, be successful in getting the signatures for that initial step that I outlined, and then we will uh, probably by the beginning of March uh, have a, uh, a full reading of uh, the initiatives that will be available to us, and then we'll have until the beginning of July to get the 140,000 signatures. And from my perspective, uh, this is absolutely critical uh, to to uh, get this passed. We need to be part of a, a national and international effort uh, to move forward. Uh, nobody can be left behind when we're facing a, a climate crisis. We're all in this game together. And so I'm hopeful that we'll, we'll get these initiatives uh on the ballot, passed, and uh, be a lead state in fighting climate change. You're absolutely right. You know, I find uh, that the one initiative to bring us below 1990 emission levels yes. in 2010, the Oregon Department of Energy developed the Oregon Global Warming Com- Commission. And it was charged with getting us below 1990 levels by 2020. That's next year. And they've been working at this for 10 years. That's right. That's right. So it, I don't actually know how they're doing it. How, you know, are we going to make it by 2020? I doubt it. So yeah. it will be interesting that we have an initiative that basically does the same thing that Oregon State decided to do in 2010. Yes, and, and I, uh, you know, I, I think that I may have mentioned that we're trying to get in line with what the state initially targeted. And, and so this is very consistent with what uh, the, uh, the best climate science has recognized. And this has been three years in the making. It is uh, sad and unfortunate and really almost unconscionable that the Senate Republicans shelled uh, our bill, um, particularly when we had all the support that uh, politically was necessary. And so we will look at alternative routes because we really don't have a choice. You know, there's an old saying uh, that um, the laws of physics do not care about the politics of the day. Right. And that's just where we are. We just got to move forward. It's so important that us, as older adults, really work as hard as we can to stymie the impacts of global warming, because really the world depends on us to do that. That's right. And and what could have been more inspiring than that 16-year-old Swedish girl, uh, Greta Thunberg, who spoke before the United Nations and and just said to the world, I shouldn't even have to be here. 
you know? And, you know, she just put them all to shame. And when, when a child or a young woman is uh, has to lecture the older generation, it is, uh, it is both uplifting and a sad commentary, both, that this has to happen this way. I like it when she... She challenged the, I think she called it the insane concept of constant economic growth. Yes, that's right. It's like as if we can just grow forever without any impacts to a non-growing planet. That's right. I, I, you know, I, I know it's a famous saying. I'm, I'm only paraphrasing it. Uh, uh, and so uh, I'm sure others know who said this, but it was something like, you know, Growth is the mentality of the cancer cell, and you know it's it's it just isn't the way we should approach our problems. You know, there there are better ways to uh, uh, enhance the quality of life, and that's what we should be all about. Uh, Stuart, tell us a little bit about your organization, the Douglas County Global Warming Coalition. How long have you been around, and how can people support you? Yeah, uh, we've been around for about 16 years, and uh, it's an all-volunteer organization. Our board consists of seven members, and it's all-volunteer. And uh, we have a membership list of, a membership list of about 450. And we, uh, we take uh, a broad approach on how to address climate change. Educationally, we hold forums like the ones that I, uh, one that I just spoke about in the past. We've had uh, speakers like uh, Dr. Jane Lubchenco, who's the former head of the National Oceanic and, Ad- and Ad- Atmospheric Administration, uh, Dr. Philip Mote, the former head of the uh, uh, Physicians for Social Responsibility and the like. We have solar and green tours uh, one, every year. We hold forums at least once a year, if not more, and we are very active in uh, legislative pursuits. And so uh, we try and tackle this both from an educational perspective, a legislative perspective, and try to inspire uh, uh, people to, uh, to take both personal and political action in this regard. Um, if people want to be uh, supportive, uh, the best way is to contact me. Um, and uh, I have a phone number that people can call. It's 541-672-9819. All our activities could certainly use uh, volunteers, uh, both in terms of forums and in terms of uh, tours, in terms of educational uh, outreach and so forth. So um, we welcome uh, uh, participation in any form that people feel uh, comfortable and I will put that information in the uh, description of this podcast, along with your Facebook page uh, for the Douglas County Global Warming Coalition, which has a donate button on it. Otherwise, uh, what address can people send a check to to help you in your endeavors? Okay. Well, thank you for asking. If people want to contribute, we uh, we are... Uh uh, not a wealthy organization. We uh, we just uh, depend upon the good graces of our our members. 
Uh, and so if people who want to contribute, <clears throat> they need to make a check out to OEC, that's short for the Oregon Environmental Council, uh, who is our fiscal sponsor. They are a statewide nonprofit that has been our fiscal sponsor for most of uh, our existence, and they are a fine nonprofit. They've been one of the leaders in uh, trying to promote the legislation that I talked about. So a check made out to OEC with a memo, uh, Global Warming Coalition, and it should be mailed to 143 Southeast Lane Avenue in Roseburg, 97470. And again, I'll have that information down in the description of this podcast, so people can reference it there. Well, thank you, Francis. Now, what else would you like to tell us, Stuart? Anything else today? Well, the only other thing that that, uh, I would uh, mention uh, is that um, the the reports that have been coming out on on climate change have uh, been uh, have been more frequent and more fast and furious in regards to uh, uh updating the uh the impact of, of uh, global warming and what they have found is uh we are constantly underestimating the amount of uh impacts that we're seeing both in terms of dollar amounts and most important in terms of uh, sea level rise. There was um, a report by the UN not long ago which said that uh, the measurements of the ocean rises have been uh, underestimated over the last 20 years or so, and so they've had to revise the projections upward in, in, in respect to what we can anticipate. We're already seeing uh, significant nuisance flooding in in Florida and uh, uh, areas around the world, and so uh, the uh, it's always been my philosophy and my uh, my understanding that uh, ultimately we're going to come to see that all our estimates all our estimates, if anything, were were low compared to. Uh, what is really happening. So that just points to the the uh, urgency of the matter. And we have, uh, you know, anyone who has children, anyone who has grandchildren, or anyone who just cares about the planet uh, needs to see this as really, and I've been doing this for 25 years, sees, it, sees this as the ultimate issue because unless we solve this, all the other issues that we care about, and I know there, there are so many important issues that are out there, whether it's healthcare or what have you, none of it's going to matter if we don't have a planet that we can survive on. And that's why uh, I've always uh, uh, dedicated my uh, my being to uh, fighting climate change, and I welcome uh, people to join us in this most important endeavor. Well, you know, thank you, Stuart, and it just brings to mind... Uh, a, a big issue that we all care about here in Douglas County, and that is the pipeline that is proposed through Douglas County. The largest section of it is in Douglas County, the Pacific Connector Gas Pipeline, that will bring fracked natural gas to Coos Bay for export to Asia. And this is because of methane leaks 
all along the way from fracking to transportation to burning, it makes this fuel even more uh, destructive to the climate than burning coal because methane is like 86 times more potent greenhouse gas than coal. And so I was disappointed that our cap-and-trade bill didn't pass because I thought that it would put these Canadian investors who want to ship the Canadian gas to Asia using Douglas County as their stepping stone, I thought it would give them pause uh, because of it will be the largest uh, uh, carbon emitter in the state of Oregon or carbon equivalent emitter within the state of Oregon. I mean, it doesn't hold a candle to any any other industry out there. Yes, that's absolutely right. And, and one of the uh, benefits of the bill had it passed, it would have uh, put just a, it would have been, from my perspective, a very significant economic blow to uh, any investment in that regard. And, and what's even more uh, uh, ominous about that, there are two things. One, the last thing you want to do is build uh, an infrastructure that will last for years uh, that will spew out all these uh, climate poisons uh, and make us dependent on that when the reverse should happen. So right. that was that was, that was just really uh, deadly, and yes. and so it was it was just critical to to stop that at its source, and so you know we recognize that in our bill and we recognize that now, and and so uh, unfortunately uh, you know that bill didn't pass and put a, a a kibosh on that, but hopefully the initiative petition that we're we're looking at now uh, will also. Uh, uh, Put a stop to this. So it's it's very critical. And the other thing, the other point I wanted to make is what has made it even worse is that the Trump administration's uh, deregulation has made control of methane leaks even uh, less enforceable. And so we're not only seeing the the impact of methane leaks, we're actually seeing uh, less control over them. So it's a double whammy, uh, this particular pipeline and and, uh, and all pipelines, but certainly uh, in our neighborhood, uh, there's no excuse for it. They expect a final decision on this pipeline in February of 2020. Under the Trump administration, we don't hold out the same hopes of it failing under the Obama administration in 2016. Uh, so under the Trump administration, we we do worry not only, of course, about the carbon emissions, but also the impact of eminent domain with a foreign corporation taking U.S. citizens' land for their pipeline. So there, so we'll stay tuned on on that issue, and we certainly hope that Oregonians can rally around uh, reducing our climate impacts to have an impact on that project too. Yes, um, absolutely. It's been, long, so, it's, it's been a long fight, and uh, I'm just so proud of all the people who have hung in there uh, for over a decade to, to stop this uh, inexcusable action. It has been a long fight, that's for sure. Yeah. And, you know, I, I guess some of these things just never die. They just go to sleep for a while, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, 
we'll do our best. And I so look forward to October 30th to hear some very qualified uh, uh, PhD and, uh, and learned folks, uh, Randall Bluffstone and Dylan Cruz, um, <clears throat> talking about moving toward a fossil fuel-free future. October 30th, 6.30 at the Roseburg Library. That's right. We look forward to seeing folks there. And it's a free event. It's free, absolutely. Well, Stuart, thank you so much for talking with us today. We have been talking with Stuart Lebowitz from the Douglas County Global Warming Coalition. Uh, This is Conservation Today. I'm your host, Francis Etherington. And thank you again, Stuart. Thank you, Francis. Appreciate it. Sinners, are you ready for a little redemption? To receive forgiveness for what we've done? The time has come to break bad habits. It's time to turn to the wind and sun. Just a little more power from above Just a little more faith, respect, and love For this old earth, our only home It may take strength to say no to that power from below But there's salvation in the power from above There's a better way than barrels of oil There's a better way than lumps of coal There's a better way to work together Renewable power, power. that's our goal goal. Just a little more power from above Just a little more faith, respect, and love For this old earth, our only home It may take strength to say no to that power from below But there's salvation in the power from above What will we do for a better world? Get on your knees to hope and pray. Well, that's not enough unless we change. The judgment day is every day. Wars have been fought over who owns what. Lives have been lost and fortunes won. But you and I will someday win Cause no one owns the wind or sun Just a little more power from above Just a little more faith, respect, and love For this old earth, our only home It may take strength to say no to that power from below But there's salvation in the power from above more power from above, just a little more faith, respect, and love for this old earth, our only home. It may take strength to say no to that power from below, but there's salvation in the power from above. Yes, there's salvation in the power from above.